Hi, everyone. Feminist Hot Dog here. Just popping in to say thank you so much for listening. The response to the podcast has been awesome, and we really want to keep it going and keep it growing. So if you dig the show and you want to support Feminist Hot Dog, please do two things. Download the episodes and leave us a quick review telling us what you like about it. That's going to help us show up in the rankings, which is super helpful for getting more listeners. So we've had a lot of fun and we are looking forward to some inspiring guests in 2019 and even looking at possibly doing some merch. So stay tuned, keep listening, give us a download, give us a rating, and most importantly, love yourself and love your buns. Here's the show. Please don't go, I need you so I... And welcome to Feminist Hot Dog, the news, humor, and cultural survival podcast by, for, and about women. And I'm here today with me. You just get me today. No guest, no interview, um, which I'm kind of excited about, actually, because my husband is out of town and I'm a little... Mm, I guess I may be more of an extrovert than I thought because when I don't have someone to talk to, I get a little lonely and now I have someone to talk to. So thanks for listening. Um, Here's one thing I do want to talk about right off the bat since I don't have a guest is that um, I finally had some time to listen to some other podcasts. I mentioned last week that I'm part of a community of Uh, women podcasters. So shout out to Lady Pod Squad. And I am just loving the camaraderie and support of this group. Uh, But I've been so busy that I haven't had time to dig into the amazing library of podcasts uh, that this group represents. Uh, But I did today. And I'm going to make it a goal to tell you all about at least one podcast uh, per episode of Feminist Hot Dog that I think you discerning uh, feminist listeners would enjoy. So this week it is a show called Best Forevers, and it is about the many, many different dimensions of friendship. Um, And the host is a college professor named Alyssa, and she says, I conduct research on problematic communications events, communications events in friendship, as a way to understand the critical role friends play in conflict, decision-making, and coping with stressors. The goal of this podcast is to love on our friendships, which I love. Um, I, she, Alyssa, shares amazing stories of friendship, including listener stories, um, analyzes great friendships from the media, and discusses topics relevant to having the best friendships we can possibly have. So what is not to love about that? It's fantastic. Um, I think it's so cool. I listened to a bunch of episodes this week, and I love it. And I think you, my friends, would love it too. So shout out to Alyssa of Best Forevers. And to all the ladies of Lady Pod Squad, I'm coming for you all next. Can't wait to listen. I have a little bit of old business to talk about as well. We got some good listener feedback, some letters from folks about previous episodes. So um, one... Uh, Actually, I think these are both regarding Dear Feminist Hot Dog segments. This one is about the segment from last week, which, if you remember, uh, was a a letter from someone who had fallen in love with a woman who claimed to be 
an alien abductee. And the writer of the letter was really concerned and <laughs> wasn't sure how to proceed with that. Um, so he answered it as best we could. And I got a, an email from a listener who says, I remember from my own therapy about sexual abuse that some psychologists maintain the theory that individuals who dream of alien abductions may actually be survivors of sex abuse who are not in touch with those experiences on a conscious level. And she says that may be outdated information by now, but I thought of that nugget when listening to the episode. And another person pointed out that there is a very real phenomenon uh, called ritual abuse, which often involves such sort of bizarre costuming and setting and really horrible types of uh, torture and abuse so disturbing and upsetting that it could easily, I think, lead a victim to believe or fantasize that what they were experiencing might actually be extraterrestrial. So that there's that too. So um, I don't think we touched on any of those possibilities in the answer. So I think that's a really important follow-up that this really could be something that this person did experience and they sincerely believe it's alien objection when it could be something else. And that could be something much probably maybe more easily dealt with or overcome <laughs> in a relationship. I don't mean to laugh, but um, then the possibility that you uh, are in a relationship with someone who believes something that you just are never, ever going to get on board with or believe. So there's that. Um, going back a few episodes, I got a Facebook message from a listener that I thought I would share. She sent two comments. Um, one, she says, I now use the phrase made my feminist heart sing in casual conversation almost daily. Yay. Totally. One of my goals of this show is way more heart singing and way less tooth gnashing in our daily lives. So that's great news. Thank you for sharing that. The second comment um, she made is in reference to episode two, where we answered a dear feminist hot dog question about polyamory. She says, my wife and I have been poly for 20 years. We stay hella closeted because people are so flipping judgmental and negative about it. And I, as an aside, I feel like I might've been a little guilty of that in that episode. Um, although I tried to be positive. Uh, I think my bias might've been showing. Um, she says, I, I will be considering poly coach for a side gig in the future, LOL. Anyway, we exist just very, very quietly. We've given each other the gift of marriage, stability, and growth without surrendering autonomy and freedom. It's not for everyone, but it works for us. I've just had to come to accept that it's pretty far out of the norm. So most people, well, you know, would simply rather not know. So I'm always really so grateful for comments from the audience, especially really thought-provoking comments like these. So please keep them coming. Keep the conversation going. So back to what made my feminist heart sing recently. There are a few things I wanted to mention. One is that uh, Bitch Magazine released its 2018 Bitch 50 list, and it is like inspiration porn. Just if you scroll through this list, it's like, name after name after name of just these amazing people, mostly women, but not not all, uh, from all walks of life, education, activism, art, sports, politics, I mean, just kind of everything, and who are doing such cool things. So it's kind of, it reminded me, it's similar to my goals for the Hot Dog Hall of Fame, 
a place where you can go and just find fabulousness. Like if you just really need to get away from the news cycle and, you know, everything that is so shitty about the world right now and realize there is some amazing just brain power, heart power, soul, spirit power out there at work in the world, this list has it. It will uplift you. Um, there's uh, actually some overlap between the list and the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. Aaron Phillip is on the bitch list. So yay, Aaron, you're amazing. Um, so definitely check it out. Get inspired. I'll add the link to the blog post for this episode, uh, which by the way, I'm super behind on updating the website. So maybe give me a few days to get caught up really fucking behind you guys, but it's okay. Um, I'm getting really good at ignoring my responsibilities and calling it um, being gentle with myself. (laughs) It's one of my new favorite things. Okay. So this next thing isn't, it's not necessarily about feminism directly, but it is about two women who are doing something pretty extraordinary and something that will likely um, help a lot of women. So this is a story that I read about in the New York Times. Um, This is a quote from from the Times. It says, last spring, Judith Jones and Carolyn Kenyon, both of Ithaca, New York, heard about RIP Medical Debt, which is um, an organization that purchases bundles of past due medical bills and forgives them to help those in need. So these women decided to start a fundraising campaign of their own to assist people with crushing medical debt in New York. And so over the summer, they raised $12,500 and sent it to this debt forgiveness charity, which purchased a portfolio of $1.5 million worth of medical debt on their behalf. Um, So essentially half a penny on the dollar. And like, Um, as the quote said, they did this through an organization called RIP Medical Debt, which was started by um, two men named Craig Antico and Jerry Ashton, who were, I I guess, part of this sort of evil debt collection empire, and then saw the error of their ways and started this organization, which um, I'm always a little wary of stories like that. Like, I'm sure they are benefiting for some capitalistic reason. But anyway, um, this isn't about them or my skepticism. It's about Judith and Carolyn and about the people who um, hold this debt because um, medical debt affects women at a higher rate than men. And the statistics around this are pretty confusing, actually. But I did some digging and I found one article that broke it down really clearly. And it basically said that um, after a year of a year, excuse me, a year after, if you have like a really extraordinary medical event that results in a really extraordinary payment, the gender gap in financial outcomes um, is is wide and ever widening, leaving women with 9% more revolving credit card debt than men after one of these um, massive medical events, um, a 14% increase in revolving credit card debt for women overall. So That is a huge number. Um, That article is from a website called The Billfold, and I will link that um, in the episode notes as well. Uh, So this is a great example of um, these two women helping a great program that is likely to um, disproportionately help women um, because they carry a disproportionate amount of this debt. So if you happen to be a wealthy listener, consider this for your end of year giving, because just imagine being the person who gets that envelope in the mail saying that your like crushing medical bills have been forgiven. I mean, that's amazing. That's, that is the best 
December gift you could ever give anyone. Or if you're not a wealthy listener and you're a badass fundraiser, like um, uh, Judith and Carolyn apparently are, um, consider that too, because that's really fucking cool. So yeah, that's what made my feminist heart sing this week. So I'm going to reverse the order of the next two sections of the show um, because this week's Dear Feminist Hot Dog ended up being related, uh, kind of, to my choice for the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. So I want to get into the Hall of Fame first so I can reference it when I answer the question. So... Um, my choice for the Hot Dog Hall of Fame this week is Layla F. Saad, and she is a writer, speaker, and racial justice advocate who explores the intersections of race, spirituality, feminism, and leadership. So um, clearly you had me at hello, Layla. Um, love everything that you're about. And so she says on her um, Patreon page, My work centers on my experience as a person who is black, Muslim, and a woman. Through my writing talks and curated conversations, I am unapologetically confronting the oppressive systems of white supremacy and patriarchy while offering important teachings and tools for transforming consciousness, cultivating personal anti-racism practice, and taking responsibility for our individual and collective healing. So that's a mouthful and it's also like just it's a massive task and if anybody is up for it she is I just have I found out about her a couple of weeks ago and started digging into some of her work and um, both just kind of you know researching her but then also personally and it is uh, she truly is someone who is um, transforming lives and I think potentially has the power to um, be a, a, like a transformative force in our society. So last year, Layla started an Instagram challenge where she urged her followers with white privilege to ask themselves really tough questions um, every every day. It was like a daily challenge about their own relationship with white supremacy and how they consciously or unconsciously uphold it and benefit from it. Um, and based on this experience, she's written a book. It's a workbook called Me and White Supremacy. And it's incredible and it's free. Um, Although if you download it, I would really encourage you to make a donation to her um, or become a patron because I guarantee you it is worth it and it is supporting someone who is truly doing transformative work in our society. So um, the book is described as a 28-day truth-telling journey to guide people with white privilege to discover, examine, unpack, and dismantle their inner white supremacy and their internalized racism. So I've been doing this with my friend. Um, she, uh, Layla really encouraged accountability. And you all know that I talk about social justice a lot on the show and white feminism. Um, so this stuff is not new, entirely new territory for me. Uh, but the level of honesty that she is able to get out of you with these workbook questions, y'all, if we got a critical mass of white people actually doing this work, it would be revolutionary. Uh, And I'm someone who truly believes that ending racism is white people's responsibility because we are the ones who constructed it and we are the ones so doggedly and enthusiastically perpetrating it. So, and I am here to tell you that this workbook is a gift 
from a black woman who was giving us her time and her experience to help move us forward. So do not sleep on this. It's awesome. Um, you can find it at meandwhitesupremacybook.com. And, um, and Layla F. Saad is also um, all over Instagram. And um, I love her Instagram. It's, she's so supportive of her followers. She's such badass. And she's also really good about talking about self-care. She's really vulnerable on there and really funny. Um, and I just love what she's about. So um, I, uh, as an aside, read Robin D'Angelo's book, White Fragility, recently, which I thought was great. And I encourage everyone to read. But I was left thinking at the end of that book, like, oh, okay, well, like I've learned a lot, but what do I do now? And this workbook is the answer. So um, thank you, Layla. Thank you so much. Um, welcome to the Hot Dog Hall of Fame. And I can't wait to keep working through the workbook. And um, hopefully I'll talk a little bit more about what I learned. And um, I hope all you listeners will support her work. Okay, and now for the Dear Feminist Hot Dog question that I swapped because uh, I think I think it's got a lot to do with what Layla talks about in or asks us to think about um, as white people in the workbook. Dear Feminist Hot Dog, recently I was at a bar that I frequent talking to my favorite bartender. She knows me and we've talked before. I would describe us as being on friendly terms. Recently, our conversation turned to the topic of children, which she has and I don't. I told her I don't have much experience being around children and that I don't actually like them that much. She got offended and told me that me saying I don't like children is the same thing as me saying I don't like black people. This, in turn, offended me, but other than just saying that it was not the same, I was so flustered that I could not come up with a short, coherent argument, and I still can't. Um, only long, rambling ones. So my question is, what could I have said in a sentence or two that would have communicated why it was not the same signed barkeeper's friend? So I think you can probably see why I wanted to talk about the me and white supremacy workbook before I answered this question. Um, I'm going to give you my initial take on what I think is going on here and then um, my revised take after spending the first few days with the workbook. Okay, so my initial take is that this woman really loves her kids and she just can't imagine anyone else not feeling the way that she does. So she's making this false equivalency between not liking kids and not liking black people because she feels really passionately about kids and she wants to get this point across. So she's using the comparison to racism ostensibly because race and age, I guess, are both immutable characteristics. So not liking someone for their immutable characteristics is a bias and a prejudice. And in this country at this time, explicitly expressing such biases and prejudices is not socially acceptable. This is, this is her way of kind of shutting down barkeeper's friend, essentially saying, like, you're a bad person. Um, but she's doing it because she's a good mom and she cares about her kids, blah, 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 blah. Um, that she's sort of using this shocking comparison to, like, convince barkeep's, barkeeper's friend that she should rethink her position. So that's my pre-workbook answer, which is basically giving this woman a lot of credit and, you know, putting myself in her position and letting her off the hook in a pretty big way and making some assumptions um, 
because sort of assuming, you know, these, these sort of more noble intentions. Um, and I realize that none of this is answering your question, barkeeper's friend, but I will get there, I promise. Um, my post workbook thinking on this really zeroed in on the idea of using the fear of being called racist to shut someone down in a conversation, which I think is what she did. Because this, that fear is why so many white people don't like to talk about race or examine their own racial biases, which all white people have, because we think of racism as this individual evil thing. And you know, Layla talks about this, Robin D'Angelo talks about this too. We don't think about racism systemically, uh, but instead, we, we think of it as this very bad personality trait or characteristic that makes you a bad person um, on an individual basis. And if that's the case, then we can never, ever, ever admit that we might have any work to do in this area. Our story is we love black people. Everything's fine. We love people of color. There's nothing to see here. So the bartender using that as a weapon is actually really dangerous um, because, because we have that keeping us stuck in in our ability to kind of move forward and reckon with our relationship with white supremacy in this country. And it's an indication that she is someone who is probably unconsciously but still complicit in that white supremacy despite what might seem like the opposite because if she wasn't, she would not be using the suffering and oppression of African Americans to make her point about why everyone should want to hang out with her kids. Um, so, I mean, and I get it. Like, have kids been oppressed and abused in our culture? Yes. Has there Was there a children's rights movement? Yes. Do we have adult supremacy in this country? Yeah, well, yes, but obviously some of that is out of necessity because, hello, kids can't really be in charge. Um, and kids may have bad things happen to them. Um, and this is coming from someone who, you know, is a... If you've listened to the show, you know that I'm a you know a major advocate for young people. Um, but even if they do have bad things happen to them, if they are oppressed, it is you know systemically at this point in our culture, it is because it's not going to be because they're a kid. It's because they are also a member of an oppressed group. So their kidness may make them more vulnerable on an individual basis. Um, but that doesn't have anything to do with why some random woman at a bar doesn't want to hang out with them. Those two things are not related in any way. Um, so I would say um, in that moment, if I had my wits about me and had had days to think about it like I have, um, childhood is a universal experience. Being black is not. Childhood is temporary. Being black is not. So when I express a preference for being around people who are not children, I am not expressing a point of view that was constructed to up uphold a system of oppression that regularly kills people. And I find that comparison inappropriate. Um, which might sound a little harsh, but honestly, I mean, that woman is probably going to get pissed if you say that, right? But you know what? The Not confronting her or not being um, direct about why that comparison is inappropriate is an act of white racial solidarity and it is something all white people do we don't want to make each other feel uncomfortable so we stay silent and it sounds like barkeeper's friend didn't say silent so thank you um for speaking up and caring um and now you have a little more reference material if it comes up again um 
And if you do the workbook, if we all did the workbook, that shit would feel so much more natural because you've done the work and you have those thoughts like in your in your psyche, in your consciousness, so you can draw upon them when you need them, when you're in a situation where somebody just says something fucked up and you're like, oh my God, and I know that's not okay, but but why and what do I say? Um, if you've done the work, you know what to say. Okay, that was a lot, y'all. I'm getting off my soapbox now. I'm stepping back from the mic. Thank you so much for listening to my first solo show. Um, let me know what you think. Did any of this strike a chord with you? I'm way off base here. Um, I'm loving the listener feedback, so please follow along on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, um, or drop me a line at feminishotdog.com. Our theme music is by Ava Luna and Loyalty Freak Music. Thanks again for listening. Love yourself. Love your buns. Goodbye.